It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Eaton Place in Belgravia, SW1. Three streets east of the unsold death of Countess Lubienska. Two streets south of acid bath murderer John George Haig. Two streets west of not-so-lucky Lord Lucan. A case so dull and done to death that I will never cover it on this podcast. And two streets south of the boy who killed because a film star told him to. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Eaton Place is a very posh neighbourhood. Being a wide, semi-private street, consisting of two lines of five-storey buildings made of Portland stone, with huge Doric columns to the side of each main door. This area is so posh, the average house is worth £40 million, and most residents are knighted. Whether that's a CBE for tax avoidance, an MBE for going to Eton, an OBE for being a jolly good egg, a KCG for covering up a politician's little snafu with a pig and his willy, a ladyship for being pals with a royal, not that one, or a lordship for services to charity, but only when it benefits their bank balance. Sadly, although architecturally pleasant, there's no community. The most you'll see of any resident is as the chauffeur pulls up, the butler fawns, the maid curtsies, and they savour an evening with their fifth spouse and several lawyers to silence a string of sexual assaults with a swipe of a blank cheque. In 1969, Flat 3 of 69 Eaton Place was the home of Sir William Ackroyd, 3rd Baronet of Lightcliffe. Like many men of prestige, he kept a small staff. A housekeeper, a chambermaid, a live-in manservant called Frank Hocking, and by the summer, a butler called Victor Ford Lloyd. It was a neat home. He led an elegant life. His staff got on well, and Sir William was regarded as a kind and generous employer. 
but on the evening of Saturday the 9th of August 1969, a brutal and violent murder inside of this millionaire's home would change all of their lives forever and not just the victim. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 166, The Bloody Butler, Part 1. No matter who you are or where you come from, it's hard to get through life without relying on the kindness of others. This was particularly true for Victor Ford Lloyd, butler to Sir William. On Sunday the 10th of August 1969, at roughly 9am, Victor yawned as he staggered down Eaton Place, still feeling a little bit tipsy as he chuckled to himself at the night he just had. With the boss away and no need to be up early, Victor had hit the town to let off a bit of steam. He'd seen some chums, he'd sunk some beers, he'd seen in the wee small hours at the roulette table, winning 200 quid, which wasn't bad for an Essex lad who barely scraped by in maths and he slept the last few hours of the night at the five-star Hilton Hotel in Park Lane. Being knackered, he wanted breakfast, a shower, and to get back to his place of work at the prestigious 69 Eaton Place, which he also had the pleasure of calling his home. Oddly, although stylishly dressed, After a long, hot night of fun, Victor looked a little rough, as his black jacket, black trousers and pink shirt had creased. But there was still no denying that he was handsome. Victor was a looker, as being a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, pale-skinned 32-year-old who was tall and slender. This pretty boy had no problem pulling in the twinks, but he preferred the older gentleman of wealth who could keep this working-class kid away from poverty and in the lifestyle of which he felt he deserved. Just after 9am, Victor popped his key in the black front door, locking it behind him. In the hallway, he didn't call out. Frankie, I'm home. As being a communal hallway to two other flats, that kind of hollering was uncouth. Besides, when drunk or upset, his posh accent slipped and the Essex popped out. Climbing the stairs, as he opened the door to the flat's lower floor, his first thought was to pop into the storeroom a utility room full of mops, linen and tools, as this was where Albert slept. Being a slightly pampered black Pomeranian, Albert was normally a little yappy, but when Victor saw him, he whimpered. 
Frankie! Victor called across the living room, dining room and kitchen. As he had left it the night before, these tastefully decorated rooms were as neat as a pin, with nothing out of place. But what was odd was the silence. As there was no sign of Frank, the manservant, his best friend and his lover. Climbing up to the upper floor, although around him were two bathrooms and two smaller bedrooms, one each for Frank and Victor, his eyes were drawn to the master bedroom, Sir William's. Left ajar, it was clear that the white wooden door had been forced, as the smashed lock lay a few feet inside. Entering, he knew it didn't look right, as someone had broken in, but they hadn't touched much. As a very elegant room with exquisite furnishings, the bedroom was full of busts, vases, books, and intricate little pieces of objet d'art. But nothing appeared to have been vandalized, rifled, or stolen. On an armchair lay a set of clothes, as if someone had got ready for bed. On the floor lay a small pile of underwear, and to the side lay a broken lamp. The only sign of disarray was the bed. Befitting a man of his status, Sir William's bed was grand and stylish. A French chaise longue with a curved headboard, hand-sewn fabrics and white soft sheets. Only the pristine white was now dotted with faint spots of red, as underneath lay a motionless lump. Hello? Victor cooed to the lump. Hello? But got no reply. With his right hand, he pulled back the bedsheet and instantly wished that he hadn't. What he saw was the red of a smashed head. Its skull caved in with such violence that it made this pale, lifeless face look as if, in that last moment of terror, it had tried to spawn a set of red wings to fly itself to safety. Shivering with fear, although his lips quivered and his breathing was staggered, Victor was too confused to shed any tears, and although heaving at the sight, his guts couldn't retch any sick. Grabbing the phone and dialing 999, at 9.08am, PC Sidney Gillingham of Scotland Yard received his call. Hello? I'm at Sir William Ackroyd's residence. It's in a state of turmoil. Do you mean a burglary? I don't know, but there's a body upstairs. A dead body? Yes, I think so. I think it's Sir William's butler. Victor gave his name and the address. The officer stated, We'll be right there. Don't touch anything. Yes, sir. I won't. And having been dispatched from Gerald Road, the police arrived 
at 9.18 a.m. As he stood there, staring at this freshly slaughtered corpse, Victor knew one thing for certain. With his colleague, his best friend, his lover, and the man he owed his life to, murdered. The second that Frank Hocking had died, everything which was good about his life had been stolen from him in an instant. Victor was nothing without Frank, and he knew it. Victor Norman Ford Lloyd was born on the 25th of May 1937 in Hampstead, North London, as one of five siblings to three sisters and a brother. With his father deceased, his early life lacked stability, as with his mother absent, Victor spent much of the first 12 years of his life in foster homes and care. Which is not to say that his mother was negligent or uncaring, as having been diagnosed with chronic schizophrenia one year after his birth and 14 years before a drug was found which managed the symptoms. She was committed to both Bedlam Mental Hospital and St. Bernard's Psychiatric Unit. As a wartime child, raised in a turbulent time of bombings, trauma and rationing, his education was sporadic and although literate, his academic level was unsurprisingly regarded as unremarkable. Given his early life, it's amazing that this blonde-haired boy with a beautiful face even knew how to smile. But he did. And as a charming lad who just wanted to be hugged, people liked him and trusted him. But sometimes his emotions got the better of him. And being unduly sensitive about his upbringing, often he was gripped with depression, prone to short bursts of tearful anger. And when he did something wrong, he would lie until he could lie no more even when the evidence was glaringly obvious. Leaving school age 15, he tried to work hard to be a decent person, but life by himself was hard. His first job in August 1952 was as a junior clerk at Elino Manufacturers in Holborn. It lasted just two months, as he was discharged for being untrustworthy. He lasted longer in his next few jobs. But being unable to flee the poverty which haunted him, he turned to crime. In March 1954, at Lambeth Juvenile Court, he was given a 12-month conditional discharge for stealing a television and was sent to live in a boys' hostel in Maida Vale. One year later, he was again discharged for 12 months for taking and driving away a motor vehicle without consent. It's no surprise that, as a drifter who lacked purpose, by the age of 16, he had begun to drink heavily and never quit 
as the booze hid his pain. And although Sir William would describe him as mild, kind, reliable, he had a bad temper when he was drunk. Age 16, as his sister had agreed to sponsor him in the hope of turning his life around, he moved to Ballarat in southeastern Australia and stayed with her for a year and a half. It was a new life and a fresh start. But still being haunted by his past, they quarrelled, he moved out and returned to a life of petty crime. Across the four years he lived in Australia, he travelled far and wide, moving from Perth to Victoria and Melbourne to Canberra, stealing whatever he could and being convicted of theft in every state. In 1956, he was convicted four times in Perth for theft and served 15 months in prison. In 1957, he was tried twice in Victoria for receiving goods under false pretenses and served 13 months. In 1959, in Canberra, he did nine months hard labour for buying goods on false credit. And in 1960, in Melbourne, he served nine months for passing worthless cheques. He was a drunk, a thief, but he wasn't violent. As a British citizen, who, as the saying goes, had dirtied his ticket, at his own request, Victor asked to be deported from Australia back to Britain. And on the 15th of June 1961, the SS Arontis docked in the port of Dover. He was back where he had started. And across his 24 years of life, he had achieved nothing. But being a pretty boy, he had learned that crime was not the only way to live the life that he wanted to live. Since his early years, in the boy's home, surrounded by others who just wanted to be loved, being gay came as naturally as being blonde. And having travelled Australia, and later Spain, New York, Tangiers, and even Paris, his life became easier as a pretty little thing which was perched on an older gentleman's arm. As by snuggling up to a wealthy sugar daddy, he would be loved, protected, and pampered. In 1964, he attempted to move in the right circles by working as a private secretary and a club manager in the poshest parts of London. But the second they discovered his criminal record, he was out. Being homeless from 1964 to 66, he was convicted four times at Bow Street Magistrates Court for stealing wallets, passing worthless cheques, and using it to cover his expensive tastes. But his life was in decline.
and then, as if by fate, he met and fell in love with Frank. Frank Alfred Hocking was neither elderly nor wealthy. He was not the type of man who Victor would normally go for. But being of similar ages and both working class, together they became kindred spirits. Being five foot two inches tall, with thick sideburns, dark thinning hair, and eyes which were arched with a monobrow. Physically, Frank was the mirror opposite of Victor. But both being gay, neat, and highly strung, they fit. Having heard his tragic backstory, in July 1969, Frank invited Victor to come to his place of work at 69 Eaton Place and to meet his employer. Sir William was not the usual kind of aristocrat, as although rich and elderly, as a gay man himself, he had a big heart. He sympathised with Victor, a homeless man, trapped in a vicious circle, where every time an employer discovered his criminal past, he was out. I became Sir William's butler. Given a generous wage of fourteen pounds a week, including food and sundry expenses, he paid four pounds a week rent to live in a small bedroom. Inside the opulence of Sir William's flat, Victor had hit the jackpot. As for the first time in his turbulent little life, he had a steady job, an honest wage, a roof over his head, and he was in a loving, if occasionally fractious, relationship. After thirty-two years of struggles and failures, he finally had stability. Safety, a family of sorts, and a chance at a future. And he owed it all to Frank. The role of a butler required Victor to ensure that Sir William had everything that he required: his wallet, his keys, his money clip, his checkbook, and his cigarettes. To make his master's life run as smoothly as a well-oiled machine, Victor had contacts and accounts at many high-profile suppliers and outlets. At John Michael on Savile Row, Sir William's tailored suits were ordered on account. To get him out and about, a chauffeur-driven car was on hand at his beck and call, and for the staff for work purposes. Likewise. He never heard the words "we're full." We're full. As all Victor had to do was to say, "Sir William would like," and it was done. Whether staying at the Dorchester or Hilton hotels, playing at Crockford's Casino, or fine dining at the Brompton Grill, and if Sir William's bulging wallet was ever a little light, at Boodle's. A very expensive private members' club. He could send his butler with a note, and a cash loan was made.
on Friday the 1st of August 1969. Seeking solitude and silence, Sir William headed off for a two-week break with his old pal in the Highlands of Scotland, leaving his home in the very capable hands of Frank and Victor. On Saturday the 9th of August 1969, both of their lives would change forever. But there was nothing which forewarned them of the dangers ahead. There were no threats, no thefts, no break-ins. No vicious letters, no malicious calls, nor strangers skulking in the shadows of the street. Neither Frank, Victor, nor Sir William were disliked or in debt. As by all accounts, it was an ordinary day. Seen as a seemingly motiveless crime, to help identify any possible suspects who may want to harm and ultimately murder Frank Hocking in cold blood, Victor provided the police with their movements. At 2.30pm, Frank and Victor sat in a French restaurant called Coco Van in Knightsbridge. A stylish yet safe place for two gay men to enjoy each other's company. They sat together but didn't hold hands. They chatted but weren't loud. And Victor, having arrived late, shared a few coffees and dry martinis with Frank who ate a meal of spinach, potatoes and tomato, as confirmed by his autopsy. The £10 bill was paid by cheque in the name of Mr F.A. Hocking, although the cost would go to Sir William, being a chequebook to cover the expenses, but also to treat his staff to lunch. At 3pm, They returned home to flat 3 at 69 Eden Place, as verified by their taxi driver. They completed a few chores. Victor made a call to Boodles on behalf of his boss. They fed Albert the Pomeranian. They then popped this pampered pooch into his bed. And having dressed for dinner, at 7.30pm, they left. Several witnesses, who both knew Frank and Victor, saw these easily identifiable men of different heights and hair colour wearing the following clothes. Frank was in a brown open-necked shirt and fawn trousers, which were later found on Sir William's bedroom floor. And Victor was in a black jacket and trousers, which he wore when he discovered his boyfriend's body, as well as a crisp white shirt. On account, they hired a car from Claiborne Hire at 7.30pm and the chauffeur, Hermanus Loganberg, wrote in his logbook that he drove them both to the Punch Bowl in Abingdon and Noah's Ark restaurant in Oxford. As Frank paid for lunch, I paid for dinner. This was confirmed by cheque and the chauffeur drove them back to 69 Eaton Place.
There were no issues, no incidents, and nothing had raised their suspicions. I told Frank I was going out for some coffee and some cigarettes. Frank said something to the effect of, with any luck, he would see me in the morning. And I went out, leaving Frank alone in the flat. The windows were locked, the doors were secure, and the dog didn't whimper. And yet, it's impossible to accurately pinpoint the exact time when Frank was attacked. As having been bludgeoned with a hammer, he was rendered unconscious, but wouldn't die for several hours. According to Victor's timings, I left Frank at the flat at about 1am. And heading out to let off a little bit of steam, I went to Crockford's to play cards and roulette. I stayed till 4am, winning £200. And not wanting to wake anyone up, I stayed the night at the Hilton Hotel on Park Lane. I left the Hilton at about 9.30am and I got home by taxi at about 9am. Each sighting was verified by witnesses and many of his payments were made by cheque. Hello? Hello? Police? I'm at Sir William Ackroyd's residence. There is a body upstairs. I, I think it's Sir William's butler. But as he stood there, staring at the freshly slaughtered corpse of his best friend, his lover, and the man he owed his life to, Victor knew that everything which was good about his life had been stolen from him in an instant. Victor was nothing without Frank, and he knew it. At 9.45am, Detective Chief Superintendent Ivor Reynolds took charge of the scene, and on first impressions, it looked like an almost motiveless attack on a defenceless man in his bed. With the neighbours, Sir William and Victor out, they had no eyewitnesses. If this was a robbery, why weren't the drawers rifled or anything stolen? If this was a bungled kidnapping, if the culprits had mistaken Frank, who was asleep in the master bedroom for Sir William, why kill Frank rather than use him as leverage? If this was a robbery, as the bedroom's broken door lock would suggest, how did they gain entry via the locked doors of 69 Eaton Place and Flat 3? And if this was a homophobic assault on a gay man, 
why did they murder him inside a secure flat, rather than on a dark, quiet street, such as Eaton Place? Even without hearing the sounds of screaming, the evidence pointed towards an argument between Frank and his assailant. As on the floor lay a broken lamp, on the carpet lay a clump of Frank's hair having been ripped out by the root. And then, most bafflingly of all, at some point during the attack, with his prospective murderer still in the room, Frank returned to the bed and he lay down. But who had murdered him? When? And why? At 10.25am, the detective introduced himself, stating, I am Detective Superintendent Reynolds. I request your assistance while I make inquiries into Mr. Hocking's death. At which Victor agreed, being only too happy to help. But his helpfulness would also be his downfall as the police's prime suspect was a man who Frank knew. Someone who was emotional, unduly sensitive, prone to anger when drunk, and when he did something wrong, he would lie until he could lie no more, even when the evidence was glaringly obvious. Without Frank Hocking, Victor Ford Lloyd knew that he had nothing which left the police with an unanswered question. Why did Victor murder Frank? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There we go, folks. How long was that? That wasn't terrible, considering I had boats going back and forth. The same boat keeps going back and forth. Really annoying. And uh, the coots outside are having a bit of a fight. It's it's 
it's it's close to shaggy shaggy pumpy pumpy season so you know what they're like they're like oh shaggy shaggy gotta get angry why don't they just buy them like if they love someone why don't they just buy them like a nice card or something or maybe some flowers or or just or just whisper sweet romantic things to them or just do what i do with eva and just buy her like a, a kebab Kebab does it. She's happy. Pop on some, uh, pop on some no holds barred wrestling. Oh, she's all over it. She's all over it. Okay. Uh, a couple of cans of super strong lager. She'll pass out after a little while. Do you know, that's the way she lives her life. Um, am I going to make a cup of tea? I'm going to open some windows and doors. I'll tell you that much because it's it's not hot, but it's one of those days where it's a it's a little bit meaty outside. Uh, and as you know, I have to record with. Uh, oh, What's that? <sighs> Got some horrible things floating in the canal. If you're walking along the canal at the moment and you're thinking, oh, it's excessively dirty, oh, dirty. Um, and you're thinking, oh, why have some people already suddenly thrown in lots of crap in the canal? It's not. It's called the churn. And it happens every year around spring. So when you, when wankers go past and they, they, they throw things into the canal or they throw it on the towpath and it goes in the canal. It goes and it sinks to the bottom, uh, but when uh, this time of year, when you get you start to get the heat coming in, it's warming up the water, and then the water at the bottom uh, it starts creating a lot of methane, and the kind of the, the methane and the carbon dioxide starts rising, and it takes all the crap that's sunk to the bottom to the top. So the canals look absolutely horrible during this week because it's uh, all the crap is rising up. There you go. You've learned something new today. Brilliant. How exciting was that? Um, Oh, I've got burpees. Do you know why? Because I'm having, I'm having a Diet Coke. I'm having all of my uh, chemicals in one blast. Oh, chemicals. Mm. I try and stay off Diet Coke, but... Because I'm on a diet, I've got to do something. Ooh. Diet's going well. All good. I was going through my drawer the other day because I tend to keep my, my T-shirts... Because I only wear T-shirts and shorts, really. And have my T-shirts uh, normally hanging above my bed because they're nice. So I don't need to iron them because I don't have an iron because you can't really power an iron on the boat. I don't... Why iron things? Who cares? Um, and the T-shirts I can't wear because I'm too fat. They go into the fat drawer. Uh, and then the other day I thought, ooh, let's, let's... I was going through my drawers in there and I pulled out a T-shirt, one of my favourite ones, and I put it on. It actually fits. It looked, it looked good without having to suck in my gut or use any of those kind of slimming filters on my phone. So I was very happy. So I'm currently wearing a T-shirt that I haven't worn in about a year because it was too fat. Oh, still fat, but long way to go. But, you know, all good. Um, what's the secret? Uh, I'm, I'm keeping off wheat and refined sugar. So I haven't really had uh, no cake, no uh, no bread, obviously, no pasta. I don't eat a lot of pasta. Uh, all, all the lovely stuff. No no sugar, really. I had a little pack of Rolos yesterday, but I'm, I'm trying to get crap back into my diet piece by piece just so my body just doesn't overreact. But, yeah, no wheat, no refined sugar. And it, like, it's wheat that's a problem. It bulks you up. So uh, got rid of that. Feeling good. Oh, I forgot to say, if you're new to Extra Mile, as always, this is the extra bit. Uh, not essential. You don't have to listen to this. It's just waffle. We do some questions in a bit. There's some extra stuff about the case. Uh, oh, before that, thank you to new patron subscribers. Thank you very much to Lucy Wilde, uh, Angela Vine and Linda Vine. We've got uh, uh, a collection of vines, a collection of wild vines. There we go. You see what I did there? That was clever. That was clever. I didn't even write that down. Oh, genius, genius. Not really genius, it's just putting 
two words together. Uh, what else is going on in the world? Uh, the little videos that I'm doing online are good. I'm learning to use my editing software more. It's a real pain in the ass. To, uh, I hope you appreciate them. They're, they're only like two minutes, three minutes long. They're interesting little videos of things that I've shot around town, little cases. Um, they take me an, an age to do because I you need good Wi-Fi to do it. And I don't have good Wi-Fi and I don't have uh, electricity kind of powered in I have to run off batteries and stuff like that so I have to find cost like cost of coffee shops to sit there and sometimes their wi-fi shit so I sit there having to do multiple projects at the same time and editing and it takes me hours it really does uh, uh but I've done some uh little kind of true crime-ish cases so I did uh I've done one on Keith Moon uh the death of Keith, Keith Moon I've done one on Mama Cass uh, and the ham sandwich myth that everyone keeps perpetuating and where we got that from. Uh, another one about a, a lady who was just going out to have a sandwich and a giant window that was f- about half a ton fell on top of her. That's really sad. Uh, just done one the other week about a guy who was pushed onto uh, the railway tracks, the tube tracks. He survived, thankfully, but it's kind of it's terrifying to think about the kind of people who are in next to you and doing things like that. Another one about a lady who was just a cleaner um, going in to do her job. She disturbed some burglars. Uh, they attacked her. They beat her up. They hit her over the head with a fire extinguisher. Then they set her on fire. And because they're underage, we will never know anything about the case. And most of them weren't weren't caught as well, which is a real pain, little bastards. Uh, and I'm going to do one this weekend uh, about a swimming pool, about what a swimming pool was used for during World War Two. And this will put you off swimming in pools forever. Uh, even though knowing that the people have piddled in there and that, that you see plasters going by, Veruca plasters. And sometimes, as I remember being a kid, seeing a big old dode in the corner of the swimming pool, someone had done a dollop, big dollop, and it's, oh, it's disgusting. Um, which is why I don't like going to pools. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, um, uh, just to say, if, if you like... Uh, crime scene photos stuff like that videos uh, all different stuff as a reminder i do patreon I, there's a lot of things that i save for patreon do you know I, I put things online but the bulk of it all of the really really interesting stuff i save for patreon uh so if you want to be part of that i think i've got all the episodes up to from like episodes 50 onwards i think which is all uh all crime scene photos all stuff that you won't see anywhere else so uh dive on it's it's like two quid a month it's nothing uh if you can't that's not a problem because i i do i think we all have to tighten our belts a bit uh, at the moment don't we and especially who knows how the next year is going to go uh someone needs to stop uh giving putin his steroids <sighs> twat anyway let's do some quiz questions don't forget i will probably ball some of these up in the next bit but don't worry about that it's all good no biggie uh question number one oh just to say in patreon as well i do walk with me so if you like extra mile um i do walk with me so after i've edited the show i let you into all the secrets about what's going on in the show the things that you're hearing the little things that none of you no one else who listens to walk with me will ever hear about and there's little little things to do with the case that i save for there as well so if you like extra mile you will love walk with me and it literally is me going on a walk and you join me on a walk ah right question time uh question number one how many floors high is 69 eaton place Mmm, exciting. Oh, these are are the big questions, aren't they? The big questions of the world. Mm. Question number two. What was Victor's middle name? His name is bloody complicated to say. Question number three. What type of dog did they have in the flat? 
Question number four, what else was kept in the dog's bedroom? So the three things I mentioned, what were they? Question number five, what time did Victor call the police? Question six, which police officer did he speak to? That's a difficult question. Uh, question seven, which case did I say is not coming to Murder Mile? This is at the very start of the show. Uh, question eight, how much money did Victor say he won on the casino? Ooh, burpees. Uh, that's not his answer. Question nine, how much money did Victor say he earned per week as a butler? Uh, butler. Uh, question ten, what colour shirt was Victor wearing that night? Mm, right, we'll do the answers very shortly. Let's dive in some extra details. So, um, so, so William... So William Ackroyd, I didn't really say much about him in there. I researched him, but I didn't feel... He kind of muddied the waters a little bit. Also in this bit, this is the extra mile bit. Uh, I'm not going to say too much because I haven't written the part two, which is the final part, and that's next week. And I don't want to ruin bits that may be important for that. So we'll go through little bits here, but not hugely important. Next week will be more important. So Sir William Miles Ackroyd, uh, he was uh, a company director of Hardy Amos Limited. He was the third baronet of Lightcliffe, as mentioned, uh, born in 1923. He died 2007. Uh, as He comes from a family of baronets in uh, of West Riding in Yorkshire. You can tell he's posh because he's educated at Charterhouse, which is one of the posh. Uh, he was a lieutenant in the 5th Royal Dragoon Guards and was awarded the Military Cross in 1944. Uh, he succeeded his father as 3rd Baronet Ackroyd of Light of uh, Lightcliffe uh, on the 29th of April 1965. So basically uh, four years uh, before this incident whole ha happened. Um, he was unmarried, had no children obviously because he, he was a gay man although quite often in that era a gay gentleman would marry uh, another lady to because it was still illegal at that point and it kind of we were in that era where you, where you couldn't be yourself um frank hocking 30 years old he was valet and manservant uh, difference between a manservant and a butler all becomes kind of uh, important next week. As mentioned, he was born in Brixton uh, in 1935, although his parents uh, lived in Kettering, uh, so in Northamptonshire. Only little, five foot two, dark haired, often wore glasses. Uh, people saw him walking around the area with a little small dog. Uh, he had a monobrow, so kind of a, a eyebrows that kind of meet in the middle. His hair was slightly thinning, uh, a little bit thicker on the sides. Um, he had uh, spent most of his life in the catering business. Uh, he met Sir William in May 1968, and he became uh, initially his valet and cook, but then became his kind of uh, valet and manservant. Uh, so valet is the kind of the person who kind of looks after his car and keeps it clean and stuff like that. Um, uh, all three of them uh, were gay gentlemen. Uh, we're going to dive into this more next time, but there was kind of more of an open relationship. It was less kind of servant master. It was kind of, uh, there was a sexual relationship between, allegedly, between uh, Frank, uh, who, who ended up dead, and uh, Sir William. 
Um, there's some there's some interesting letters that could come with this that I'll, that will go out in uh, uh, patrons. So you can have a look at those as well. They're kind of interesting, especially given the fact that it was it was kind of there was more to the relationship that kind of meets the eye. Uh, but as mentioned, July 1968. This was when um, uh, Victor and Frank met, and uh, they introduced him to Sir William, and it kind of became like a a nice kind of interesting little relationship going on there. Uh, I'm not going to dive in too much into that because that's where next week's episode is. Um, Victor, uh, born in 1937, he was 32 years old around that point. As mentioned, he grew up in Essex in and around Chingford, which is where I lived for a good long while. Um, he didn't have much contact with his parents. Obviously, as mentioned, his father died early and his mum was in a psychiatric institution pretty much for the first 12 years of his life. Um, gonna be careful about what I do because how much of this comes back later on is kind of uh, quite important. Um, as mentioned, quite quite traumatic, suffered with kind of depression, anxiety from an early age. Uh, feelings that uh, people always felt that he should have been able, he should have done more with his life, or that he was worth more than he kind of felt that he was. Um, he was nice, he was pleasant, he was reliable, but when he got drunk, he had a really bad temper. This is going to pop up a lot next time. There's a lot of this, isn't it? I've enjoyed writing this episode because it's. There's a lot, there's a lot to say, but also it's kind of. Everything is about perspective, really. As with everything in life, like, you know, I'm sure you, you could probably get two books side by side, and one would say, like, on Adolf Hitler, and you get one book that goes, oh, he's a nasty piece of shit. Oh, look at him, he's evil. And then I'm sure someone could write a book going, no, actually, look at him. Do you know, there's a lot about him that's really good. Do you know, when you look at it from his perspective as opposed to other people's perspective, do you know, it's the same with everything, do you know. Um... What else? Which is not to say I like Hitler. No, I don't want everyone saying, oh, Michael said that Hitler's really nice. He said that he'd become his best pal. They'd go out together, they'd have drinks. They wouldn't have drinks because he, he didn't drink that much. He, he, well, he, they said he was teetotal. He, he's, he, he just wasn't much of a drinker. Uh, and, he was, uh, and he was only vegan because he suffered with uh, farty farts quite a lot. I did a blog ages ago on... on uh, um, diets and uh dictators and that was really interesting um why, why am i going into hitler's dietary <laughs> needs this we don't need to know any any of this um i'm just being really careful about what i'm saying with this normally if you're new to extra mile normally i wouldn't be this hesitant but i still gotta write next week's episode so education um uh, Victor was educated at the Hutton Residential School and then uh, at Chingford Mount Secondary School, which I didn't go to, but uh, I was I lived not too far around, around the corner with my mum there. Uh, he, everyone said that he was quite unremarkable at school, but you know he is uh, he is educated. Pretty much most of his education, he was raised by London County Council, uh, who kind of looked after him for his education and his care. Uh, he was in and out of foster families. Um, very little that we know about that, but he seems to be seems to be decent enough. Uh, Work wise, uh, he did a couple of months as a junior clerk for David Nairn and Co. Lino manufacturers in uh, in Marlebone. Marlebone, um, Mar- Mar- people staring into my boat, weirdos. Uh, in um, Marlebone, Marlebone. Hoban, that's what I was thinking of. Uh, discharged because he was untrustworthy. He worked for a bit 
and Vokins as a general uh, lighterman or a, a junior clerk for a general lighterman. They're the kind of people, companies that used to uh, move the uh, canal boats around. Uh, he left of his own accord. Um, he got a job at uh, as a junior clerk at Searle Radiators uh, in Camden Town, earning £3, but uh, owing to a court appearance, unfortunately, he lost that job. He was personal secretary in 1964 to Keith Wallace at Berkeley Square, so a very nice posh area. Uh, he only lasted about six months on that. Part-time manager at the Hayhill Club W1, which is a very posh club. So this is the kind of area where he's working his way up. He got another job uh, as a clerk at Somerset House, which is where all, a lot of the tax stuff was being done and kind of public records on £11 a week. Uh, but he was dismissed because obviously working for an, uh, an office where they deal with lots of people's records, they discovered that he had a criminal record, which he hadn't mentioned. Um... Uh, 1964 he was a control supervisor for vista rentals in in uh, victoria london but he left of his own accord again only there for about a month this seems to be uh, a pattern at this moment where he's uh he's trying to find jobs but because he's because he's a criminal no one will Im- employ him um 1967 he was a clerk at h allen wine merchants uh in sw3 so just south of here again he was dismissed because his criminal record was found he for about 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 almost two years he was unemployed and homeless basically living on people's sofas and that's when he met uh frank i had to remember i keep at the start i kept forgetting who was frank and who was victor so i've sometimes happens sometimes my brain goes a little bit weird uh as mentioned previously age 16 he went to live with his sister um london county council found that he had a sister who he didn't seem to know about who lived in a ballarat in uh, south australia so uh, he went to live with her she agreed to sponsor him because he obviously he got a bit of a criminal record and she wanted to help him out but they argued a lot it went really badly Uh, he turned back to crime um, he tried different jobs while he was in Australia. He was a clerk, a salesman, a waiter. Uh, he said, apparently, he was a, a manager for a pop star. Uh, unnamed who the pop star was, so we don't know whether that's true. Don't forget, he has a tendency to lie. Uh, what else was there? Um, I, uh, as mentioned, his all of his crimes are theft. Uh, and uh, well, larceny and kind of uh, gaining things by false representation by you know this is an era where you had checkbooks so you know you could buy something with a check and then sign it off and then you realize it's they go oh no it's 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 not the real person's check we made a mistake so he kind of learned how to do that uh, one account of uh, stealing a motor vehicle in uh, uh, Chelsea uh, when he went to Australia he had uh, uh, 16, uh, six months in an institution for stealing clothes uh, six months for larceny and stolen goods another four months for breach of bond another month for breach of bond they just keep racking up it's like they seem to either put him away in different places or, or in prison but he doesn't have to do anything uh, when he was in Victoria he was charged for one year, one month and 14 days for false pretenses. 
and placed under the supervision of the major young Salvation Army and put on a two-year supervision bond, which did absolute F all, because he went to Canberra and was uh, sentenced to three months hard labour for false pretenses, and then another six months for uh, false pretenses hard labour. Then in Melbourne, three lots of three months consecutively for false pretenses uh, for passing worthless checks. Um... He actually approached the chief immigration officer of Australia and uh, personally asked to be deported. Uh, he just he'd had enough of Australia. He wanted to go home. Um, Nineteen sixty-one. He spent a, a many months travelling around Spain and Tangiers, uh, and of course France. Uh, the, some of these bits will come back. He went to New York in nineteen sixty-three uh, and stayed there for about three or four months. He was in Paris. We hope we'll probably do a little bit about Paris next week. Um, 1964, his London crimes. Um, he, he obtaining credit by fraud. Uh, he stole an unattended jacket from a club. This uh, may have been the Hayhill Club that he was working at. Um, he was passing worthless checks. What he would do, he was meet... Uh, at one point, he met two men in a hotel. He invited them to dine with him. Uh, and what he said was, I'll pay by cheque and you hand me your uh, cut of it in cash and then I'll pay for it. I'll pay for the whole lot. Oh, aren't I generous, but you give me your cash. Uh, it, the cheque bounced. So, uh, so, you know, he got his money's worth out of that and he got a free meal. Um, uh, charged with obtaining uh, fraud by credit. That was for a hotel bill. So he stays in hotels by uh, obtaining fraud. Uh, he bought a watch worth £32 uh, by stealing a diner's club card. Uh, they'd just come out then. So that was kind of a b- bit of a new thing. Uh, what else was there? I think that was pretty much it. Lots of fraud. Like in what, 1966, 13 cases of fraud had to be considered uh and then uh, bow street disqualified from driving for 12 months for being intoxicated while driving uh i'm not going to do any more on that because still got to write next week's episode and i don't want to ruin things this is the problem is if i say things i might accidentally balls it up so let's do the let's do the answers to the questions that we just did and then uh there we go. Yes, let's do that. Okie cokey, pig in a pokey. Um, question number one. How many floors high is 69 Eaton Place? Um, five, including the excluding the basement. It's a big old building. When you go on that street, all these buildings are big and huge and they look heavy as well. Like big, thick pieces of thick stone and all the the doric columns are huge everything about it is huge it's these kind of buildings that you go into and the rooms are, are like double aspect uh ceilings so you go in there and you go oh my god look how high the ceiling is but then these people can afford to kind of heat buildings of that size which i wonder what will happen in the future because obviously these these buildings are all are not environmentally friendly so they'll Maybe have to get rid of their ceilings or drop their ceilings. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, question number who cares? Question number two. What were these are all rich assholes? Who cares? Uh, question number two. What was Victor's middle name? It was Norman. Victor Norman Ford Lloyd. Nightmare to say. Uh, question number three. What type of dog did they have in the flat? It was a Pomeranian. And those little yappy things. Uh, question number four. Uh, 
Are people going to send me emails now going, oh, why are you, why, why, why are you attacking Pomeranians? What have they ever done to you? <laughs> I always am. People always get upset about the tiniest things. They, 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 people, people really go, oh, I really enjoy it. I love it when people go, I really enjoyed the show. But people get upset about the tiniest things and then they feel they have to comment on it. Someone messaged me the other day about something which was in the funny bit in the show. At the bit where Star Wars add in the sarcasm, and almost everyone understands that sarcasm is not to, meant to be taken honestly. But someone messaged me and they were really upset about what I wrote. I'm not going to say which bit. And I was just like, what the fuck? Why? Just get a sense of humour. Oh, I'm sure someone will send me a nasty email now going, oh, you're saying that people should have get a sense of humour. Oh, dear life. Uh, question four. What else was kept in the dog's bedroom? Three things. Mops, tools and linen. Lovely. Very pampered pooch. Question number five. What time did Victor call the police? It was at 9.08am. Question six. Which police officer did uh, Victor speak to? It was PC Sidney Gillingham. Doubt anyone got that one. That was a really hard one. Question seven. Which case did I say isn't coming to Murder Mile? It is, of course. <sighs> Lord Lucan. Who bloody cares? Uh, thank you to everyone who answered my little, my little quiz online that I did last week. I posted a picture and I said, I'm at this location filming uh, for for murder mile uh, which is this belgravia location it was kind of i knew that no one would get this and everyone was like everyone was like uh oh it's lord lucan it's it's you uh, do you know what you're not far off with we're, we're about two streets away uh but it's not lord lucan i really I, I find it i find it just really dull there's nothing exciting about it it's just like it's yawnsville who cares it's not coming to murder mile don't care about it uh question number eight how much money did victor say he won at the casino 200 quid, 200 smackaroos. Uh, question nine. How much money did Victor say he earned each week as a butler? <laughs> butler. Um, 14 pounds. 14 pounds. Well done. Uh, and question number 10. What colour shirt was Victor wearing that night? Mm. If you said pink... You were right. But if you said white, you were also right. Find out why next week. Yeah! <laughs> Trick question. Yeah, yeah, get in. Get in, have some of that. Oh, do you know what I'm going because because I'm so proud of myself for doing that little tricky question. I'm going to treat myself. I bought some of these those rice cakes that have the little thin slaver of uh, chocolate on top. Oh, it's about as near as I can get to a treat at the moment, but that will do me. Right, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. That was all a uh, bit of fun. Uh, next week is part two of uh, the bloody butler. Uh, yeah, butler. Um, it's only a two-parter. Uh, I'm not going to do any more on that, and then we'll probably go back to another one-parter after that. Hope you enjoyed that. Thank you so much for listening. Have yourself a good week. Stay safe. Be good. Lots of love. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.